Hey, welcome to the podcast for Scotts Hill Baptist Church. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. Also, we pray that it acts as an encouragement to you today. We are currently in a series called The Movement, which is a study of the book of Acts. We are specifically looking at God's movement through the early church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. All of you are here live and in person this morning as we gather together on this Lord's Day. Those of you who are watching us online, so grateful that you're joining us. That group that meets in South Africa, uh, we're so at Jeffrey's Bay. Just want to give you a shout out that watches every week and you have a Bible study on Tuesdays with uh, about 12 folks gathered in your homes. We're so grateful that you're inviting us all the way there. I do believe that that is a multi-site now of Scotts Hill and Jeffrey's Bay and I need to come and check things out. So I would love to come there with my surfboard and uh, come and see all of you. Tucker wants to come with me. And so, Tucker, I need a good guy to go with me on that. Can't find a good guy. So I'm going to bring Tucker with me. No, just kidding. (laughs) Tucker is a great, great guy. We're so great that you're here this morning. Grateful that you're here this morning. Those of you in the Cross Point Center joining us with a mask on. And listen, this is Passion Week. We are moving into the celebration of Easter Sunday. And we want to do everything we can to help the body of Christ at Scotts Hill to be prepared for Easter Sunday. So we have a number of things we have for you. If you go on our website, you will find that there is a button on the homepage that says Easter Devotions. And all you have to do is click on that button. It will take you to a video series by J.D. Greer, pastor of Summit Church in in Durham. And so what he has done is put together a simple devotion every day, about 12 minutes long, and it comes with a study guide for the family or maybe a devotional guide. We want to encourage you to do that. We have right now media. We have paid the subscription so everybody in the church can use it for free. And so beginning tomorrow, we want to encourage you and your families or individuals to take some time to go find that button, download it. If you have an account, you can get right to it. If you don't have an account, we have all the information for you on how to have an account and take advantage of all right now media in the future. So I want to encourage you to do that. Secondly, this Thursday at 630 in this room, we're having a great time of praise and worship. This is one of those blowout worship times when we come and we celebrate. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper together. It starts at 6.30. You will need to get here early. You will need to get a seat. We are going to have overflow opportunities. We're going to have a mask-only service in the Cross Point Center that will be streamed. want you to be a part of this because Thursday evening is a wonderful time for the body of Christ to come together and just celebrate. Those of you watching us online, we want to invite you to come be a part of that with us live. And then Saturday, we do our spring fling. The spring fling is a bridge event into our community where we do not an Easter egg hunt. It's more of an Easter egg gathering. We just throw them out. Our goal is to have 20,000 eggs. We need some of your help. We still need some plastic eggs and we need them stuffed with candy. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Please take some time this week to go buy some plastic eggs and candy, stuff them in there, bring them to the Cross Point Center anytime during the week and on the overhang section of where the activity center is for the Cross Point Center, there will be bins. We're going to collect those eggs from you. If you're going to put money in those, such as $100 bills, please let us know which ones they are before you do that. Okay, so um, we're going to have that available for you, and so please help us with that. Also, we need some folks to volunteer in some areas for Spring Fling. We have a tent that's going to be outside, an orange tent with our children's ministry, and there are a lot of slots open. Let me encourage you, go 
sign your name up. Help us to minister to our community and love on them well. And then finally, Sunday's Easter Sunday. You not want to miss Easter Sunday. This is a time in the life of the church where the body gathers together with a crescendo of praise and worship and gen uh, generosity and, and gratefulness to our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to have five services, one at 8 o'clock, two at 9.30, and two at 11 o'clock. So you're not going to want to miss it. You don't have to register for any of them. Just come and be a part of that. Also, let me remind you that our night of prayer, praise and worship will have no child care. So you can bring your children with you. They can sit in here. They can squirm. They can sing. They can cry. They can even make a sound like a rooster if they want to. I did a wedding yesterday and there was a rooster behind me. And while I'm doing it, he's just crowing away. And uh, God's word says, let everything have breath. Praise the Lord. So he joined in with that. And so all of that's a public service announcement for what's happening this week. We have no excuse of not being ready for Easter Sunday. Now, take your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. We are in this series called The Movement, and we're looking at the book of Acts. Sometimes we're selling in on a few verses, sometimes we're selling in on multiple chapters. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 17, and I believe this is a timely message for the body of Christ at Scotts Hill and a timely message for the body of Christ around this nation. And you're going to see why in, such a, in a few moments. But we got to remember what the whole theme of the book of Acts is. Jesus meets with the disciples and he gives them the mission of their lives and the mission of the church. He says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus gives us a very clear plan and he gives us a purpose and he gives us the power. And every believer has this. First, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot accomplish the work of the gospel apart from the Holy Spirit working in us. And one of the greatest needs of the church today is that we would be filled with the Spirit of God. We need his power. Secondly, he gives us a purpose. Your witnesses. That's your job. You are to give a witness of what I have done in your life and what I have done for humanity. That's our purpose. And the plan is simple. We begin in our communities, we go to our country, and then we go to the continents. And he's laid that out for us. The entire book of Acts follows this plan beautifully from the beginning to the end. And what we've been doing as we go through the book of Acts, we've been seeing the spread of the gospel. We've been seeing how the gospel has moved from Jerusalem. It moved all the way to Antioch on the first missionary journey, which is about 350 miles. And then it moved all the way to, to um, Tarsus, which is Paul's hometown, which is about 256 miles. And we've seen that the gospel in just 14 years is now pressing on the edges of the ends of the earth. But then last week we saw in chapter 15 that Paul and Barnabas got in a dispute over a young man by the name of John Mark. John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. And because he departed on a mission trip from them, Paul didn't want him anymore. But Barnabas wanted John Mark. He was his cousin. And they parted ways. So Barnabas and John Mark, they go to Cyprus. 
Paul and a new partner named Silas, they head east and go to a different direction. Now, last week, I said that John Mark, in this service, that John Mark wrote the Gospel of John. That's not what I meant to say. John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, not the Gospel of John. So I wanted to make that clear. So they depart and they go separate ways. And I want to show you very quickly on a map how far Paul and Silas go with the gospel. Got this map, and here's Jerusalem down here. Jerusalem's 300 miles from Antioch. They've made that trip. Paul and Silas take off from Antioch and go to Lystra, which is 270 miles, and they pick up Timothy. And then from there, they travel 250 miles all the way to Troas, which is near the ancient town of Troy. Then they go another 70 miles to Neapolis, then they travel 12 miles to Philippi where they're beaten and thrown in jail and they lead the Philippian jailer to faith in Christ. Then they travel 105 miles to Thessalonica and they do some ministry there and they run out of town in Thessalonica. And so they travel 50 miles to Berea and they are in Berea and the Jews from Thessalonica come against Paul and they run him out. Now he leaves Silas and Timothy in Berea and Paul travels 270 miles all the way to Athens. At this point, he has traveled 1,027 miles. When you throw in the distance between Jerusalem and Antioch, 1,327 miles, the apostle Paul has traveled mostly by foot. And as he's made this way, it's only 20 years that the church has been started and the gospel finds itself in Athens. This is where we pick it up today. And Paul finds himself in Athens alone. Silas and Timothy are not there yet. He is going to wait for them. Athens next to Rome is one of the greatest cities in the Roman empire. Now I want to tell you, Paul did not go there as a tourist. If you and I go to Athens today, our main goal would be to be a tourist. We'd want to go see the structures and the beautiful architecture. We would want to go and see all of the culture of Athens. We would want to take bus tours with a little map that shows us all the high points. We would probably want to taste all the cuisine of Athens, have one of these little food tasting parties all the way through. Paul wasn't there for that. Paul didn't sign up for a chariot tour of Athens. Paul didn't sign up for a cuisine tasting of the cultural food. Paul was not there as a tourist. He was not there as a spectator. He was there to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul was there what theologians call an apologist. He was an apologist. That meant this. He was there to defend the faith of Christianity. He was there to intellectually, historically, honestly, and biblically communicate truth in a world that was filled with false philosophy. He was an apologist for the gospel. Now, sadly to say in a modern church, we don't see apologists in that sense. There are more churches today that are apologizing for the gospel than they are defending the gospel. And we're living in a culture today that considers itself to be woke. Woke. And let me tell you what it means, woke. When you look at wokeness, it's really a display of a dark heart and a dark mind that does not use reason or intellect to defend its 
purposes. And God has not called us to be a church that is woke. God has called us to be a church that is awake. That's why Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, he says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. That's what Paul is doing. Paul is traveling around. He refuses to give into the wokeness of the culture and let that to dim his passion for the gospel. Now, Paul has been beaten. He has been stoned and left to dead. He has been arrested. He's been thrown in prison. Every place Paul goes, he gets run out. And we have to ask the question, why does he keep doing it? Why is he in Athens? What is it about the Apostle Paul that refuses to allow a woke culture to silence him? And here's what I've discovered by Paul. There are four attitudes that Paul refuses to let be a part of his heart and his mind. As he's living in this woke culture of Athens, he refuses to allow these attitudes to change his passion for the gospel. And I'm going to tell you this morning, if you and I do not avoid these attitudes, we will no longer be a gospel-centered group of apologists who defend the gospel. We will become a culture-centered group of people apologizing for the gospel. So this is a serious message that deals with some serious issues. Some of you may feel a little uncomfortable with some of the things I'm going to share this morning. But God has not called us to be woke. He's called us to be awake. What are those four attitudes? Let me give them to you. Number one, Paul refused to be indifferent. In that culture that he was living in, he refused to be indifferent. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit is provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Let me tell you about Athens. It was second only to Corinth in its trade and its commerce. But Athens was one of the most significant cities in the Roman Empire. It was a place that was considered to be great architecture and design. It was a place that was considered to be filled with philosophers and wisdom. It was a place where it held the most prominent university in all of the world was in Athens. If you could say that there was a woke city in that time, Athens was that woke city. But Athens was also known for its rampant idolatry. He says that it was full of idols. That phrase in the Greek literally means this. Athens was smothered with false gods. One historian from Athens has said this about Athens. He said it is easier in Athens to find a god than it is to find a man. Because every street corner had statues of their deities. Every square had statues of the gods of Olympus. Right there in the Pantheon, in the middle of the city, there was a statue to Athena. She was made of silver and ivory and gold. And they said that the tip of her spear could be seen 40 miles away. And Paul goes into that city, not as a tourist, 
while everybody else would be impressed by the structure and the beautiful images of these gods of Olympus. Paul was not. In fact, it says that he was provoked. His spirit was provoked. That word is only used there in the New Testament. And here's what that word means. It means that in his spirit, he was irritated. He was agitated. There was a righteous indignation that flowed out of the apostle Paul when he saw the rampant idolatry of Athens. And you know what he didn't adopt? He didn't adopt the philosophy. Well, you know what? Those are just Athenians. That's how they are. You know, just let them go ahead and do their nonsense. He never said that. Even though they were darkened, they were, were idolatrous, Paul refused to allow that kind of sin to create an indifferent attitude in him because he knows this, that that kind of idolatry will lead generations and generations and generations away from the true God. And so his spirit was provoked. The other person I'm reminded of is the Lord Jesus when he goes into the temple. And he walks into the temple and he sees that the, 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 the court of the Gentiles, which was the only place where Gentiles could go and pray and meet God, they made it a den of thieves. And the righteous indignation of the Lord Jesus welled up within him that he drove them out. Let me tell you the greatest danger of being in a culture that is spiraling down into depravity is this. When you're in a culture that's spiraling down into depravity, you become so immersed into that culture that you no longer recognize the decline. I want you to think of where the church has been over the course of the years and how we become desensitized to the issues of our culture. It started with the sexual revolution in the 60s. And people were like, oh, we can't put up with that. But then all of a sudden that led to divorce in the 70s. Then it led to cohabitation. And then it led to re redefining marriage altogether. And now it's opened up to gender dysphoria. And now the church has constantly for 40, 50 years now has been inundated with depravity. And for most of us, we've become so indifferent that this is what we say. Well, that's just the world. That's the way they are. And when you and I have an attitude of indifference towards sin, it leads us to a place of ineffectiveness with the gospel. Billy Graham wrote this many years ago. God is concerned with the immorality of the world, but he is grieved by the indifference of the church. I want you to think about that. Those of you who are millennials, you've not grown up with a time where you did not hear about the struggle of abortion. You did not grow up with a time where you did not hear about homosexuality. You did not grow up in your life without hearing about the different conflicts in our culture and the social injustice. Your entire life has been inundated with that. And if we allow a woke culture to lead us to a place of indifference, there is a process that we fall into. I wrote the process down this week. As I was praying through this, I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me this. I'm going to put it on the screen. If you have your phones, take them out, take a picture, because you're not going to have time to write it, okay? But I want you to see the process. When we are no longer provoked by sin, we become indifferent to sin. When we become indifferent to sin, 
the gospel becomes irrelevant. When the gospel becomes irrelevant, we identify with the culture. And when we identify with the culture, we have lost our influence as salt and light. And tell me, we have not gone down that path. How do you know? How do you know if you have an indifferent spirit? Let me give you a couple of tests. It's going to get uncomfortable. Here's one. When the gods of this world are no longer appalling to me, but they are appealing to me. When the gods of this world are no longer the things that cause me to step back and gasp, but now they speak to my senses. The gods of materialism. The gods of identity. Individualism. The gods of all the kinds of Islams you can even imagine. But when we get to that place where the gods of the world are no longer appalling, but they appeal to my senses... Something has happened in my heart. Here's a second one. When the entertainment of the world no longer causes me to blush, but I boast in it. You know what I'm talking about? I want you to think of the shows that are on television. And at one point, we would have stood against it. But then I see now believers after believers bragging and boasting about the kinds of shows, even having watch parties together with shows such as The Bachelor. The Bachelorette. Guys don't watch those movies. Real men don't watch those movies. (laughs) But when the culture's entertainment becomes mine, Something has happened in my heart. What about this? When I no longer reject the philosophies of the world, but I receive them without reason, then I move into a culture that is woke. Let me tell you, the woke church is indifferent. The awake church is different. There's the difference between the two. And I believe today that God is calling the body of Christ to wake up. I believe God is calling the body of Christ to stand up. I believe God is calling the body of Christ to refuse to shut up with the message of the gospel. But we've got to deal with our hearts when it comes to those issues. And if I've got an indifferent heart, then I've got to ask God to show me the areas of my life where I have made the gospel irrelevant. Paul was not indifferent. And we cannot be indifferent in a woke culture. But here's the second thing Paul was not. Paul refused to be irrational. This is what I love about Paul. He was not an irrational individual. If you study the life of Paul, he was one of the great intellectual geniuses of the New Testament. In verse 17, Luke says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those happened to be there. There he is. He's reasoning with them. The apostle Paul always used reason. 
He used historical fact. He used his intellectual prowess. He used scripture. He used biblical positions. He used even the positions of the culture of his own day. This was always his role was to reason together. In fact, if we look at chapter 17, verses two and three, this is what it says. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is Christ. He went in with reason. He went in with an argument. He went in with something that was very organized. He would always begin in the synagogues. We also find in verse 10, when he's with the Bereans, he does the same thing. He begins in the synagogues. He reasons. He has conversations with them that are based on historical fact and evidence and biblical truth. And then what does he do? He begins to confront people in the marketplace and people that are just walking around him. We find in verses 17, um, verse 18, that there were two major groups in that culture that he even reasoned with. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Again, what does he go back to? He goes back to the gospel, always the gospel. But he comes against these two major philosophical groups in Athens, the Epicureans. They were the materialists of their day. They were the ones who just say, hey, you know what? Just live all you can. This is your best life now. Enjoy every moment of it. Get all you can get. Now, they believed in the gods, but they believed the gods were so removed from humanity that they had nothing to do with creation, and all of life was just random chance. That's what the Epicureans believed. Their motto was, eat, sleep, and be married because tomorrow we die. Sounds like a lot of the American dream, doesn't it? And what we hear in our culture today. Then you've got the Stoics. Who are the Stoics? The Stoics were the ones who were more serious in nature. They believed in God, but they were pantheists. They believed God was in everything and everything was God. That God is infused into every branch, every tree, every rock, every person. And they believed that God was everywhere, but they really had no hope of eternity. And they lived for knowledge and they lived to endure this life, but there was no hope. And the apostle Paul goes in and what does he do? He meets with them. He begins to proclaim the gospel. He uses his intellect. He uses scripture. He uses even some of their own writers of that day. And he begins to persuade them in such a degree that they want to hear more about him. And we find in verse 19, they invite him to one of the most prestigious parts of town called the Areopagus. And this is where all they did was sit around all day and just debate over new things. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. And they were so impressed by Paul's intellect that they sat down with him and they listened. He won their ears. He's winning their minds. And eventually he will win their hearts. But you know what Paul was not? He was not irrational. He was not saying, hey, this is just what I believe. Hey, you know, this is just what I think you guys need to do. No, every bit of it was based on historical fact and evidence and scripture. Scripture. 
and teaching that was filled with reason and knowledge. I want to tell you, if there's ever a time for the body of Christ to be rational, it is now. We're living in a culture that is so woke, that doesn't use common sense, that doesn't use rationality, that doesn't use wisdom, that doesn't even use science. And all the things that they're laying out before us, they want answers for. But here's the problem with the church today. There is such a biblical illiteracy in the body of Christ that most of us can't even defend what we believe. And the reason we don't get in discussions is we don't know the history. We don't know the scripture. We don't know what it means to defend our faith. And let me tell you, we're living in a culture today that wants what I call, and others have called, fast food knowledge. You know what that is. You get in your car, you go to McDonald's, you drive up to the speaker, and they're talking to you, and you have no idea what they're saying. But you order your Big Mac and you pull up to the window. And when you get to the window or you use your app and you're waiting and there it is, your meal completely prepackaged for you in a bag that you don't even have to wait till you get home to eat. You can eat it right there in the car and you can eat it while you're driving. Cause I'm telling you, most people on Market Street don't just drive. And, uh, (laughs) And there's no preparation in it. There's no buying of the materials. It's fast food and it's all neatly packaged. And you know what happens in the church today? We want fast food knowledge. I don't want to spend the time prepping for it. I don't want to spend the rigorous hours of digging deep into some question that people want the answer for. You know what we want? We want the Instagram theology where somebody puts one little quote up there and you say, oh, that's good, that's good. And you know nothing other than that. Or you want the Twitter version of 140 characters. Can't get any more than that. Or maybe there's some song on the radio or something like that. And you know what we end up doing? We end up taking pieces of information that are packaged like a Big Mac. And that information is about as nutritional for our minds as a Big Mac is for our bodies. And we've become irrational. Let me tell you what doesn't work in this culture today. Well, my preacher said this. Really? Who's your preacher? Depends on who he is, whether I believe him or not. How do you know that's true? And as a result, we don't even study anymore. You know, my, let me tell you what one of my passions is as a pastor. I would love for us to have a class on a Tuesday night about theology and doctrine. I would love for us to have a class that I and the pastors can lead and that we're going to take people who are serious about wanting to know the truth of God's word, serious about doctrine, serious about theology, serious about how God's word can change my thinking from the inside out so I can know how to answer the questions of life. That's one of my passions. You know, my wife told me the other day we were walking at the beach. It was the funniest thing. It was the most painful thing too. I'm walking with her and we're talking about this very thing. And she said, I just have to say something. Phil, I love you. You know, I love you, right? I I hope you love me. 35 years of this. Yeah. She says, here's the thing I need you to understand that if my whole spiritual life was dependent upon what I heard from you on Sunday mornings, I wouldn't be theologically deep. 
I said, I'm not quite sure how to take that. (laughs) But she's right. If your source of theology is from Instagram, and your source of theology is from sermons or podcasts, and you're not like the Bereans and digging deep, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be empty. And the church that is woke cares nothing of those things. But the church that is awake understands this is my role. This is who God's called me to be. Now I have to say something. Everybody applauded, or most people applauded the last point. We can't be indifferent. I don't hear any clapping going on now. Because that's what God's called us to do. Let me give you two things real quickly, the other two. Paul was not only not indifferent, he was not irrational. I love this about Paul. He refused to be insensitive. He refused to be insensitive to the people that he was loving and teaching. Now, most of the time when we think about the Apostle Paul, we think about this guy who's on fire, who's gone at at 100% and who is mean-spirited. But he is not. Paul was one of the most gracious men when it comes to preaching the gospel. Here's what he does in verses 22 and 23. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, you're a bunch of idiots. No, he didn't say that, did he? He said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. He took one of their own objects. And he's looking at them. He didn't say he wasn't name calling. He recognized these people are spiritual. They're just not Christians. There are a lot of people in our culture that are spiritual, but they have no idea what it means to have eternal life. And so what we need to do is like Paul, sensitive to them. He was very sensitive. He was very kind. He even spoke with them of what even some of their own writers have said. And he had this heart that was so gentle and so kind. You know, I think, of, I think of the Lord Jesus. What was constantly said about Jesus? He was a friend of sinners. And I want to say this, believers. If we want to be like Jesus, why are we not friends of sinners? Our job is a witness, not a judge. Our job is a witness, not a prosecuting attorney. Our job is a witness, not a defense attorney who tries to defend their actions. You know what we are? We're witnesses. And we are to witness the incredible love of the Lord Jesus. You know, Jesus, the only people in his culture that he called out were the religious ones. You and I have no right to judge the world. That's the job of Jesus. We have no right to condemn the world. Jesus says the world is already condemned. Our goal is to love them and to be sensitive with people and to love them so much that even in their darkness, it breaks my heart. And even in the darkness, I find ways to get involved in our life so I can just tell them, let me tell you about Jesus. And that in itself is not condemning. It is to be very loving. I want to, I've blessed the Lord for a man by the name of Robin Moore. 
Mr. Robin Moore was a chemical engineer who volunteered his time at a church called Hebron Baptist Church. And Mr. Robin Moore worked with the student ministry. He led the youth choir called One Way Singers. They all had these shirts with the finger going one way, just like that. I remember the first time my brother and I ever went to a Baptist church. I was raised Catholic, didn't know anything about it. We went to this Baptist church on a Sunday morning. My older brother Dennis was with me. We sat on the second pew. We had no idea what was going to happen. All we knew is the stand-ups, kneel, you know, the things we did in a Catholic church. But we're sitting on the second pew. I have a Budweiser t-shirt on in a dry, in a dry community in a Baptist church. <laughs> Budweiser. I don't even know. I don't even like Budweiser, but I had this Budweiser t-shirt on. My brother sitting next to me had this yellow shirt with a green Martian who was flipping everybody off. I'm thinking, we're sitting on the second row and he's flipping the preacher off the whole time. And we're sitting there and you know what? They didn't condemn us. Mr. Robin comes to the platform. He looks at us, me and my Budweiser shirt, looks at my brother in his yellow shirt with a green Martian. He looks at me and he says, I like your shirt. One way. <laughs> I looked at Dennis. I said, that man's an idiot. <laughs> we got out of there. We laughed about that. But Mr. Robin was no idiot. He knew what it meant to flip someone off. You know what he did? He welcomed us. And that man, I went back to that church another time. My second visit, I gave my life to Christ. That man took me and invested in my life and loved me in all my roughness and my lack of knowledge. And one of the reasons I'm standing on this platform today is because of Robin Moore and his loving me. How many people will come here and walk out and feel unloved and judged? How many people in the culture would never come here because they would feel unloved and judged? Our job is to love. We teach truth. We proclaim truth. We walk in reason. But we love. That's what God has called us to do. And if we live in this culture that's woke, we must live with sensitivity and loving people because Jesus was a friend of sinners and I am going to be a friend of sinners because somebody was a friend of this sinner. Here's the last one. Paul refused to be intimidated. Wow. Now, if Paul had any reason to be intimidated, it was at Athens. I want you to think of the great philosophers that came through Athens. Socrates. His student, Plato. His student, Aristotle. I mean, these were brilliant men. And here's Paul walking in Athens, refusing to be indifferent, refusing to be irrational, refusing to be insensitive, but he's walking in the shadow of some of the greatest philosophers who have ever lived. And he was not intimidated. Why? Because those men had great philosophies, but every philosophy they had was empty because there was no transformation and no eternal life. And Paul had the answer. 
And as he walks in Athens and he's proclaiming Christ, he begins to address all of the different factions of the culture. And some of the factions are the same factions that we have to face today. Let me quickly give them to you. He says, God is creator. Paul addresses the evolutionist of his day. In verse 17 of 24a, the God who made the world and everything in it. He stands toe-to-toe with the evolutionist and he speaks the fact that there is an intelligible designer and he is God Almighty. So not only does he say that God is creator, secondly, he says God is ruler. He addresses the pantheist of his day. He says being Lord of heaven and earth. God is not infused into everything. God is separate from everything. Transcendent is the word. And he is above everything. So he speaks to the pantheist of the day. But thirdly, God is giver. He addresses the secular humanist of his day. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God does not need you. You need God. And he addressed the humanness of his day. But then he's, God is sovereign. Paul addresses the racist of his day. And let me tell you, that world was filled with racism. Because every culture was against the other culture, thinking that they were superior to that culture. And what does he say? And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. All of us come from one source. There are no races except for the human race. We may have different color of skin, different backgrounds, different shapes, but we're still human. And he is the sovereign Lord who has made every single one of us the color we are and the gender we are by his design. He is revealer. He deals with the moral relativists of his day. Those who say there is no truth, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live, we move, we have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. He deals with the fact that there is absolute objective truth. Then he deals that God is deliverer. He deals with the universalists, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he is given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Do you hear what he's going back to? He keeps going back to the gospel. He meets people where they are. He tells them the truth of who they are. He tells them the truth about who Jesus is. He commands a response and he invites them into a community. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the message constantly for the body of Christ. No matter who we face and what we come against, we are not to be intimidated by our culture. We are not to be intimidated by a cancel culture that wants to silence us. Why? Because we have the objective truth that the world needs to hear, period. We do not need to be intimidated by godless government policies such as the so-called Equality Act. 
that wants to undermine everything that we know of truth. And by standing on that truth, we may be called radical extremist, but we will not fear. We are not to be intimidated by the different philosophies such as critical race theory that wants to reestablish a wall of hostility between people, the very wall that the Lord Jesus tore down on the cross, making us one. Read Revelation 7. When you read Revelation 7, what you will discover is that every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people will be before the throne. We don't need to be intimidated by whatever the culture says. We need to be bold. We need to be truthful. We need to be kind. We do not need to be indifferent. Athanasius was a bishop of Alexandria. Athanasius confronted a heretic by the name of Arius. And in those days, Arius believed that Jesus was a created being. He wasn't co-eternal with the Father. And he began to teach this. Athanasius stood against it. And he was responsible, along with a number of men, to write what is known as the Nicene Creed. And in the Nicene Creed, it says that he is begotten, not made, but of the same substance of the Father. And he began to promote that. Unfortunately, Constantine, the emperor, was on Arius' side. And he came to Athanasius one day and he said, Athanasius, do you not know that the whole world is against you. And Athanasius stood before the emperor and he said, then sir, I am against the whole world. Later, at the, at the, amazingly, at the council of Constantinople, the doctrine of Arianism was thrown out as heresy. And we have the Nicene Creed four years after Athanasius died but he refused to give in. We have, a, we, have, we have a decision what kind of church we want to be. Are we going to be a church that's just woke and ultimately destroyed by the culture? Or are we going to be a church that's awake and can transform our culture? We cannot be indifferent. Some of us have to deal with our indifferent hearts today. Some of us have grown cold. The gospel no longer has its zeal within us. And the woke culture is pulling us. We cannot be irrational. We need to think and to speak truth. We cannot be insensitive. We need to love people. We cannot be intimidated. After all, the Lord Jesus was not indifferent. He left heaven for you and me. He was not indifferent. He took on flesh. He walked in a broken world for you and me. Can you imagine if the Lord Jesus was indifferent in heaven where we would be today? The Lord Jesus was not irrational. 
He taught us truth of who God is, who we are, and what we need to do to reconcile that relationship. He was not insensitive. He loved us dearly. And he loves us this day, no matter who we are and what we've done and how we have failed. And the Lord Jesus is not intimidated. Why should he be? He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. So Scott's Hill, those of you who are watching online, wherever you may be, We are living in an Athens. Will we be tourists? Or will we be witnesses? If this morning you're not a believer here, let me encourage you that the wonderful truth is that Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. And he would call you today to surrender to him. By faith, trusting him as your Lord and your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life. Let's pray. Father, what a message you've challenged my own heart with. And Father, what a fire you have lit in me. Father, may we feel that flame. Father, we submit our lives to you right now. We ask that you would speak truth to us. You would convict us where we need to be convicted. We would repent where we need to turn from sin. We would submit to you that you might have your way in us. Father, for those who may be without Christ, I pray right now that they would just simply say this in their hearts. Dear God, I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus is my only hope. And right now, I surrender my life to you. This world has nothing to offer me. But Jesus is your son, and I ask him to forgive me of my sins and live in me and be my Lord and my Savior. Father, may that prayer be resounding in the throne of heaven even now. Challenge us, Father, this week that we choose to be awake. And we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Scotts Hill Podcast. And thank you also to those who continue to give with generosity. If you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about Jesus or our church, go to scottshill.org slash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it onto your social media stories. Whatever you want to do, just make sure to tag us at Scotts Hill. Until next time.